Welcome to your best riding life. I'm your host, Linda Goldfarb. Each week, you'll receive tips and strategies from experts in the riding and publishing industry to help boost your best riding life. Let's get started. It is great to have all of you here. Today's guest expert is going to take us on a thrilling journey. Let me tell you a little bit about him. James R. Hannibal is no stranger to secrets and adventure. He has been shot at, locked up with surface-to-air missiles, absolutely, and chased down a winding German road by an armed terrorist. He is a multi-award-winning author for his military and spy novels, and I love this genre mix that he has here, and also for his children's mystery fantasies. James R. Hannibal, welcome to your best writing life. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be talking to you today. Today, we're discussing the craft of fiction in the area of thrillers, but this is kind of a subcategory of techno thriller with the spy aspect brought in. James, you have some great information for us today, but before we dive into that, I'd like us to take a look at what I call the inside life of the writer. So, James, I asked you to share something with our readers today that maybe most of your readers may not know about you. So if you would, please just take a moment and give us some insight into James. So one thing unique about me is that I am what is called a synesthete. I uh, have a neurological phenomenon, um, it's genetic, called synesthesia. And um, not only that, I have more prominent synesthesia than most. About one in 4,000 Americans has synesthesia um, at some level. I'm at the about one in 200,000 to one in a million level, depending on the study that you read. But what that means is that I see and feel sound. So all my senses intersect. I hear flashes of light. I feel smells. I see smells. So for instance, if I'm walking like today, this morning, I was running and there was roadkill out there and I can smell it. And it, it feels to me like running through a foul smelling sandstorm. I can feel the pelts of the, the grains on my face. I can see it, this black and yellow uh, color. And yeah, I've been in an Arabian sandstorm, so I, I know how to relate that. Um, or if I'm listening to a string quartet in an auditorium, it's like watching a world of glittering color, um, but it also tickles. So there's lots of different sides to that neurological phenomenon that, that work into my life. And uh, it took me until my 30s to realize that others don't see the world the same way that I do. And that was through uh, the gracious and patient, graciousness and patience of my wife. Mm. I... I'm trying to envision, and I really can't, but I think that if it was a motion picture and we could see it, it would be fabulous. I'm, there is a show that was out there, and I don't know if it was The Librarians, where I don't know if one of the uh, members of The Librarians, she had the same, it's like she could see everything in front of her, and she would move it around, and I don't know if it's the same type of thing, but um, she would see mathematic equations. And uh, so that's, that may be a little bit more theatrical than r realistic, but I, to be able to walk in your shoes would be an incredible journey just for that experience alone. And as I mentioned at the front end, everybody, James' journey is thrilling. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to head right into the writing content for your best writing life. 
Here's the first question I have for you, James. I know that in your blogs on techno-thriller writing, you've discussed the, quote, language of techno-thrillers. So what is this language, and how do you know that your readers speak it? So if I were to say to you, or if I was writing my uh, thriller and some folks were doing surveillance on a target, keeping, you know, you have a, a whispered drone keeping a watch over um, a bad guy and they're trying to figure out what he's doing. Uh, and the commander walks out of the room and says to the sensor operator, the person operating the drone, uh, you know, watch the clock um, at thermal crossover. I don't want to lose this guy. Everybody in my former community would know exactly what that means. But to your average reading, when I say watch the clock for thermal crossover, I don't want to lose this guy, uh, I might as well be speaking German, you know. Um, right now you're speaking German, yes. And and I don't understand yeah. German, so yes. <laughs> yeah. You're an Augen on the the Ur, ja? Ich will nicht this, yes. this okay, no. <laughs> Nine, nine. <laughs> um, somebody's got there going, his German grammar is, is atrocious. Um <laughs> <laughs> but, but in the real language of the spy world and the language of the military world, each has its own. And fortunately, with Defense Intelligence Agency, a lot of those, those two worlds intersect. And so we understand each other very well. But your reader doesn't. Um, and so in order to teach the reader the language as you go, you have to act like a, a language instructor, just as if you were teaching a child um, German in, in a spiral learning format. Okay. This is really kind of in-depth here. And for those that know, for those that love your content, I, I almost feel like I would, okay, as a beginner coming in, I'm going to have to learn a new language before I can understand what you're saying. So what can help me as a reader is knowing that you are defining it as you go because you're speaking directly to me. You're not going to leave me up on a on a mountainside hanging going wait a minute do i have to look that up do i have to pull out my dictionary what you're saying is when you're doing this make it clear to the reader that's important because you don't want to drop off you don't want them to stop is that what i'm hearing from you yes it is and so you don't want to jump in and and the readers of techno thrillers expect that they're that that early on they're going to see maybe a technology term that they've never seen before and and something like that but as the writer you don't want to immediately uh, throw your reader into the deep end so when i'm teaching, we homeschool. And so when I'm working on German with my kids, for instance, um, you know, we have vocabulary, we have uh, grammar, and we hit these things at a, at a, at a light, shallow level. Um, and then we spiral back around as the semester progresses and hit them again at a deeper level. And then we spiral back around and hit it again at a deeper level. So you as a, as a, as a techno thriller writer, it's important to pick and know what your specific technologies that you're going to be talking about, what your specific areas of perhaps intelligence that you're going to be talking about are, and then be cognizant of how you're working that into the story in as seamless a fashion as you can to introduce that vocabulary um, to your reader so that as they move on, and then you and then you're preparing for that final scene so that they can be absorbed in the action in, in the final action of, of the novel. They can be completely absorbed and fully uh, fluent in the language that you're speaking. And you've spent the entire novel hopefully without the, even their knowledge, building that uh, language proficiency for them. Okay. And this is, I mean, this is key. Yeah, absolutely. You, you cannot write 
in such a way that others are rubbing their heads trying to figure it out, and especially in this area. So this is this is fantastic. All right, so do you feel that a writer needs some type of a qualification to write military or spy thrillers? Give us your thoughts on that. Well, I, you know, I would tell you, I would have told you 10 years ago when I started in this business that the answer was no, um, because you had writers out there that uh, didn't have a whole lot of, of, of bona fides in, in, in military or, or spy background. Um, your most well-known still did for the most part. Today, however, um, so many folks have sort of sidestepped non-disclosures and things like that, that uh, your, your top writers in this genre all have that background. So um, you don't have to have it. You have a lot more work ahead of you, both on the writing and research side and on the marketing side. Um, and you'd better be at the top of your game because, you know, the Navy SEAL has, has an unfair advantage uh, as far as instant um, credibility uh, writing in the genre. When you mentioned that the Navy SEAL has a background, he's going to be able to do this. But if that is not our background and we're writing and we say something off left field that doesn't hit, I know I've, I've speak to several fiction writers who will talk about a particular location in a real location in, you know, somewhere in America. And they say in this city, yada, yada, yada. And then they went to this school and they did this and this and people that live there going, there is no school like that. And though they may say that it's fiction writing, sometimes it rubs some people the wrong way because it's like, but you still need to have some factual stuff if you're going to name it as a particular area. If what I'm hearing from you is correct, the writer maybe doesn't have to have a military background. They can still write, but it's going to be tougher. What do they have to do then if they don't have that military background? What what are their options if this is their choice of genre? So there are there are plenty of options out there. Everything that you can write about, um, you know, people like me um, and friends of mine, Brad Taylor, uh, people who... And I wouldn't say Brad Taylor's a, a tight friend. I, 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 you know, talk to him at conferences and, and we, you know, uh, are on the same panels and things like that. But people, uh, people who have that background, one, we have to run things through non-disclosure. Um, we, we, we've signed non-disclosures when we had our jobs. We have to run things through uh, program security offices to make sure that we uh, don't violate operational security or give away classified data. Uh, most of us are, are at the point where we've been given carte blanche. Um, but when you first start out, you absolutely have to do that. But one of the things that we have advantage is we know where to look. Even though everything we're writing is unclassified, we know where to look to find the unclassified data. And we know things already um, that we can go and then find unclassified sources to support that so that we can write about it without violating um, our non-disclosures. So obviously, we have that advantage there as, as far as we already have the knowledge. But a person who doesn't have that knowledge can go out and find it. And there are great resources. Go to the defense contractors and get on their email lists. Get on the DARPA social media page. Look for their posts. Uh, if you're not familiar with DARPA, it's Defense Advanced Research Projects Association. They have lots of really cool 
technologies that they're working on, they have their fingers in a lot of pies. And so just by following DARPA on social media, you can uh, get inspiration from a lot of areas. And then that can focus your research and you can go know where to go. Follow Boeing, follow Raytheon, go to CIA.gov and look through their archives. So you have all those resources available to you, but you're going to need to put in the legwork. And then the other thing that folks with the background have is the instant credibility. So when I take fictional license, I get a pass. And that's not fair. <laughs> but the fact is that if you don't have uh, that background, then you're more like your readers are more likely to go, hey, that doesn't it hasn't happened that way. That's not true um, because because they they're going to jump on somebody for not having that 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 background. So, you know, it, it you might even be held to a higher standard for not having the background in the military or the spy arena. Absolutely. I, I'm in agreement with you because if the ex, the expectation is high, it's for those who know they really need to know. And if you don't know, you need to know that you don't know. And so you've got to do your due diligence. You've got to get out there. You're going to have to struggle harder, but it's not an impossible task for someone to learn. If this is really what intrigues them, as you said, you know, their focus area or they have to focus their research and they can do it. It doesn't mean that it, they have to go sign up for the military in order to be someone who writes in this genre. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. When you started writing, when you first began your writing career, tell us a little bit about that journey, because you've given us some excellent content for the writers. And I'd like just a little bit of background here on how you started your writing journey I will tell everyone right now, you have, we're going to have a lot of information in the show notes. So you're going to want to go to, to James' website. It's fantastic. And you'll make sure and do that. But right now, give us a little bit of insight to you, James, as a writer who does have to write a lot. And as you mentioned, you had to take time off from uh, certain things uh, we had discussed before because of, you know, focused writing. How did you start? And what has been... I don't want to say feelings, but one of the most memorable moments in your writing career. I will tell you that I always wanted to be a writer. So I started writing as a child. I tried to write my first book at age four. Um, it was a highly plagiarized uh, story about uh, pandas playing soccer after I had uh, recently checked out a book on raccoons playing soccer. Um, so uh. <laughs> the... Uh, I wrote poetry through high school. My first published um, story was when I was 12 in my hometown and I you know, was able to read it on the radio. My first published uh, poetry uh, came out in the, in the newspaper in Dallas when I was in high school. Um, and so uh, I finally went into the military. I felt like I needed to experience the world and experience what God had in store for me before I began writing. The other thing that I wanted to do was write in the ABA, the the secular arena first, um, and hopefully maybe build a following there before I began writing Christian fiction um, so that I might hopefully increase the evangelistic opportunity there. So my first real book that I wrote, I wrote in my last uh, year in the Air Force and then in the next uh, two years. 
uh, which was Wraith. And it was my first techno thriller. And so I had the opportunity since I began writing it while I was still in the military to work directly with stealth program security and be ready to overcome that little obstacle of getting it approved. I had to write in on a completely unnetworked laptop. It could never touch um, the internet so that there was no threat of the original manuscript ever uh, escaping that laptop um, before program security got a look at it. Um, and then, you know, we finally got uh, a publication deal. And then I went to Thriller Fest and there's the, that's where the moment is um, because I had gotten this deal. I had an endorsement from Clive Custler, who is one of my writing heroes. And now I'm at Thriller Fest for the debut authors. And um, it's my first writer's conference. And I was this wallflower. Um, I, I, I did not want to mix with with everybody. I was kind of standing uh, to the side. I didn't know. uh, I didn't want to talk to people. And I don't do well in large crowds because of my synesthesia. Um, uh, Large crowds, the sound of it feels like I feel like a tin can being crushed at the bottom of of an ocean. Um, So anyway, so but there I am standing there and I see these two ladies uh, carrying boxes upstairs, boxes of books. Um, And it didn't seem right that they should be doing that. So I, I ran down there and, and I started carrying the boxes for them. Um, and they were doing setup because it was early in the conference. Well, it turns out that one of those uh, ladies was Steve Barry. Um, I'm sorry, it was Liz Barry, who was the, the wife of Steve Barry, who's a major New York Times bestseller. And then... Um, Kim Howe, who was the executive director of Thriller Fest. And because I had just went and grabbed those boxes and started carrying them with, with uh, carrying the boxes with them, I sort of, they took me under their wing and I was suddenly adopted as a uh, brother, nephew, son. And from then on, I, I, I got to meet all of these wonderful writing greats and, and work under and study under these, these writing greats like David Morrell, who created Rambo. Um, and got to meet Stephen James. And so anyway, that that pivotal moment of simply carrying a box because I was uncomfortable with the crowd uh, sort of altered the course and, and set off the course of my writing career. Well, that's fantastic. Getting to know the history of our writers on Your Best Writing Life gives us a feeling of you know, realism. We know what you're going through. We know what you've gone through. And so sharing that was just a scoop of whipped cream on top of a, on top of a soda or something. So you did really great. Now we're going to add a, a cherry on top of the whipped cream because you're offering our listeners a gift of your character dossier for the Griffin heist. So what can they expect when they go to the site and find that? So this is something that Ravel and I worked really hard on. It, it started as almost a, a joke. Um, I They asked me when I turned in the Griffin heist for character descriptions, and I went way overboard and I wrote these um, because I had them in my head and I had some of them written down already. Um, and I wrote these huge character descriptions with birthdays and, and historical figures that they relate to and all these other things. Anyway, so, uh, and some of that you can actually find on, on the website at jameshannibal.com if you go to the, to the clandestine service section, which is what we call the series. But for the dossier, then we went deeper and I created an intelligence dossier very similar to what you might actually find if you were working in intelligence. And so we had to be really clear. We actually had to to make sure we had graphics and a disclaimer on there. These are not classified documents, but 
they are accurate in terms of their appearance and what you might find. And so they sure look like classified documents for somebody uh, who joined the uh, agency and had to have portions of their background wiped or had to have psychological evaluations in the case of our slightly crazy engineer on the team. Um, and so you'll find, you'll find, you know, psychological reports, you'll find uh, after action reports for the, for the schoolhouse, for the farm, for uh, Talia Inger, you'll find a map of where they located all these elite thieves that they're hiring onto the team for the Griffin heist. And so it's it's a really fun document. It was fun to put together. We spent a lot of time on it and uh, it, it'll give you a good feel for what an actual classified dossier might actually look like. Well, I haven't looked at it yet, so I'm going to and I, I, because I'm very, very interested in this. Um, I was raised in the military. My father was in the Air Force, and he was actually in uh, crypto. And oh. so, yes. And so, but there, in our family, it was, Dad, what did you do? Yeah, I really can't tell you. So, you know, um, I like the, um, that kind of spine. I mean, because I'm sorry, there was spine that was occurring even back then with my dad and being off the uh, tip of uh, the Aleutian chain. And, oh, so, yes. you know, so all of that is real. So I'm, I will be, I will be checking this out. This isn't my normal genre. This isn't one that I go, Oh, I need to pick this up, but who knows? I may be one of your next best fans. So <laughs> I, I will take a look. And that said, what uh, project are you working on right now? So right now I'm working on some fantasy. I just turned in for Ravel the uh, the Paris Betrayal, which is a spy left out in the cold story that was born out of the Book of Job, and so it's an it's an entirely allegorical and it's fictional. So that you know there are, there are places where it's not allegorical and it's just a really good spy story. But as a whole, talking about God's sovereignty and Job's realization of that and what his place and purpose is, um, that's how we related the character of Ben Calix to the director and the company in this spy left out in the cold story. And now I'm working with Dr. Gary Huckabee, adjunct professor um, of, I think, the Doctor of Ministry program at Denver Seminary. And we are putting together a Bible study uh, edition to go with the Paris Betrayal, and that is a lot of fun. Oh, well, that does sound like fun. And I like working in fantasy. That's kind of a dream place for me. So we'll see what the Lord has in store for that. Well, your link to the dossier is going to, of course, be in our show notes. And as I said earlier, folks, I encourage you to explore James's website. It really is fantastic. You're going to find so much there that's going to ignite your writing senses. It's going to help you even think about how can I make my website inviting to those who are my audience? Because that's really what I found when I went there. I said, I wanted to stay. I want to journey in and around and kind of feel what's going on, like feeling my way through your site. So totally, totally enjoyed that experience myself. James, you have done a fabulous job. We're going to have you come back on. We know that there's a lot of other areas that you have specific content that you can share with our listeners. 
and to help them in their writing journey to be the best that they can. And so we hope that you'll come back and, and be here with us again. Oh, I, I'm excited about it. Like you said, I'm, I'm also working on fantasy. That's another thing I'm simultaneously working on uh, with a series coming out from Enclave Publishing soon. And uh, one of my fantasies was a Realm Makers finalist this year. So uh, looking forward to talking to your fantasy writers and you specifically, because I know you're working in that uh, world now, uh, about how we how we accomplish that world building and still keep the suspense and story going. And with that thought, Fantasy, dystopian, what's the, a lot of people have a challenge saying, okay, what's the difference between that? Can, can you touch on that a second? I would say that fantasy is building a completely new world. And dystopian is a very fallen world. And so there are differing views on writing dystopian in, within the Christian fiction world. I don't, I don't write dystopian um, uh, because you almost have to, re- it's almost as if God left the world for a little bit to write dystopian. Mm. And uh, so I have a hard time doing that. I would rather write a completely new world um, that uh, is still centered in a, a God-centered worldview for fantasy than writing a, a world that is so broken as to become dystopian. But there are methods to do that. It's just not my cup of tea. Okay, perfect. Well, as I said, just thank you so much for being here with us. And yes, we will have you come back. And yes, we will be discussing fantasy as well because I, my toe, I'm like, I'm like to my ankle now dipping in. So I'm uh, really looking forward to what that's going to bring to me as a writer and how I can glean from your expertise to, be, to make me better at, at my craft. And that's really what we want to do here on Your Best Writing Life is we want to provide content that's going to help everyone from a beginner to bestseller to be better. And that's to learn from those that have walked the path before us that are knee deep in it, waist high sometimes, especially if it's a spy thriller, you never know where you're going to find them. But that's, that's really what we need to know. And you're, you've given us some tips, some strategies, content worthy information, and we're going to be able to take that and run with it. Especially if you're folks, if y'all are looking at uh, writing techno thrillers, this is the episode that fits you perfectly. James, thank you so much. We're going to see you here again on Your Best Writing Life. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. Thank you, too, for being here with us, our podcast friends, for joining us here. I look forward to being with you next time on Your Best Writing Life. <laughs>